Well, hi there. I'm really looking forward to sharing this message with you today. Um, it's been stirring in my spirit for the last couple of weeks, and so I'm praying that something of what God's speaking to me it will be spoken to you today. Now, I want to dip back or go back a little bit to uh, the series we're in, which is between the resurrection and the return. And we've looked already in this little series how Jesus appeared to the 12 disciples on the night, on the first Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and he brought peace and joy into their troubled world. We also have seen how Jesus came a second time uh, because Thomas wasn't there the first time. We saw Jesus came the second time, especially for Thomas. And, and we discovered that Thomas was more than likely doubting more in himself than he was in Jesus. So this morning, I want to talk about another character that I think that we can all relate to. Uh, he made his debut in Disney's Lion King. And uh, his name is, uh, who's, well, who's seen Lion King? Um, I don't want to be talking about something no one knows about. So put your hand up if you've seen Lion King. Yep, I see all those hands. And the story this morning is a little bit about uh, little Simba. He was King Mufasa's son. And as the story has it, Simba finds himself uh, in a scene where, well, if you haven't seen this, spoiler alert, that his dad gets killed. And I, I know that there was larger forces at play in this whole scene uh, that would see the destruction of his dad. But it seems that Simba himself cannot help but feel responsible for the death of his father. Then we come to the scene where Simba feels the full weight of his actions, uh, the, the guilt and the shame and a good old Uncle Scar comes along and, and not a very encouraging word, but he sort of puts more blame and shame on Simba and he tells Simba to, to run away, Simba, run away and never return. And so Simba runs away and, you know, we discover that he, he runs into Timon and Pumbaa and they, in fact, he lives quite a happy life. He doesn't, Simba doesn't move into a life of crime and, and, um, and mess. He actually seems to live quite a carefree life. He has, lives a Hakuna Matata life. I'm not going to sing it, but I'll pause for three seconds so you can sing it. That's our problem-free problem philosophy. Hakuna Matata, no worries. That's the life that Simba finds himself living in uh, with, uh, with his newfound friends. And the problem with that is Simba was so far away from where he was meant to be. And Simba was so far removed from who he was, who he was called to be. And so not only that, he'd left a world that had desperately needed him. And so, you know, I've seen that version of that story in my 20 years of, of 20 more years now of, of full-time ministry, I've seen that type of story time and time again, where people face difficult experiences and they, they give up on their marriages, they give up on their friendships, they, they give up on church, they give up on faith. And sometimes they even run away, or maybe not physically, maybe they just withdraw themselves from the very people that need them the most. So this morning, I'm not here to condemn or to judge uh, anyone who might have gone through a difficult circumstances and you felt the only action you had was to to run away but you know I just want you know I, I know what it's like to give up I know what it's like to to give up or, or write people off or and we talked about Thomas a few weeks ago and it's easy for us to write him off as doubting Thomas 
but I know what it's like to give up on others, and I know what it's like to give up on myself, on myself, not myself. So, so often we can find ourselves in a situation that we're so far removed from where we used to be, and and so look, settling for a life, we could find ourselves in a life that's a good life, a not 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 a bad life, but disconnected or, or removed from what and who God's called us to be. So if that's you this morning, that's why I'm excited, because if that's you this morning, my, my prayer has been that God will speak to you during this message. Because I know that when we find ourselves away from being the best that God calls us to be, we wrestle with the question, and the question is, well, what does God think of me when I mess up? Hands up if you've messed up this morning already, or this evening, whatever you watch this. I'm sure all of us sometime this week have messed up in some form. What does God think of me when, when I let him down? What does God think of me when I find myself living far below who and how he calls me to live? What, what happens when my actions or my foolishness or my faith, or my, sorry, my actions or my foolishness or my fear or my weakness, if those things shift me away from where God wants me to be and who God wants me to be and shifts me away and moves me to another place where, where not, not a bad life, a good life, a happy life, a hakuna matata life, but not the life that God has for me. What does God think of us when we're in that place, not where he wants us to be? And so this morning, I want to look at that question and I want to take our attention away from Simba and look at Peter. The Apostle Peter. Because Simba felt the full weight of shame and guilt and tried to deal with his situation by running away. And he, he tried to deal with the situation by, by avoiding the people that he needed the most and disconnecting and distancing himself from them. And so the same thing with Peter. And so as we look at Peter, we, we, I'm sure you know the story of Peter. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was chosen especially by Jesus. Jesus saw him fishing and said, come follow me. And, and Peter followed him. Uh, Peter's original name was Simon, which meant a weak reed. And Jesus changed his name to Peter, the rock. And he, uh, Peter was the one that had, had a, the first revelation of the disciples that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God. To Peter, I wrote a few things here. Peter uh, was one of Jesus' executive team. He was one of the three closest people that Jesus had in his ministry team. Jesus, Peter was there when Jesus was baptized. Peter was there when, in fact, his salvation experience, uh, it's important to note this, his, Peter's salvation experience was, he was out fishing all night. Peter was a fisherman. He was out fishing all night, didn't catch a fish. And so Jesus um, uses his boat and he says, look, cast your net on the other side. And the story is, well, Jesus, you know, I've been fishing all night. I'm a fisherman. You're a carpenter. What would you know? Well, he didn't quite say it that but i'm sure he thought that but peter said well if that's what you say i'll do that and and the story that when he put the nets on the other side he caught a massive amount of fish and and it was that experience of of jesus doing a miracle in the boat uh that was peter's salvation experience and he falls down to his knees and he acknowledges who jesus was and so peter was always peter was always there peter was the first to speak up peter was the one who who was bold and brazen peter was the one who walked on water. Peter was there when Jesus just took his three closest disciples into the little room and raised the little girl back to life. Peter was there. 
Peter was the one that Jesus says, you're, I'm going to change your name to the Peter the Rock, and uh, and you're not going to be a fisher of fish anymore. I'm going to I'm calling you to be a fisher of men. This is Peter. This is uh, probably one of the most highest profile disciples that we read about in the Gospels. And in fact, Jesus would call Peter one of his friends. And so this is the story I want to look at this morning. And Peter was there at the Last Supper. He was there with the 12 disciples. Peter was there when Jesus said, one of you are going to betray me. And uh, and the one who dips his bread in this uh, wine after me. And the whole story with Judas and Judas leaves. Peter was there. Peter saw all this happen. Then Jesus would say, you know what, guys, um, uh, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to uh, uh, give my life. I'm going to die. All of you are going to be scattered. And and what Peter says in Matthew chapter 26, um, in verse 33, Peter says, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. What a bold statement. What a faithful, what a, Peter's heart was loyal to the core. And so, which made Jesus' response to Peter even harder for Peter to hear. In verse 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same, just like Peter. And so in the story after uh, supper, Peter followed Jesus to the garden where Jesus would pray and the disciples would sleep and Peter would awake to the sound of a, a Roman troop, a Roman garrison coming to arrest Jesus. And so the story, this the Easter story, Jesus is carted off uh, to be trialed at the high priest's house. And this is where we find the story of Peter again. And we're going to go to John chapter 18. And, and Peter's just sort of snuck in uh, to the beside the gate. And a woman recognizes Peter in verse 17, John 18, 17. The woman asks Peter, Hey, you're not one of those disciples, are you? No, he replied, I'm not. Now, because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it warming themselves, and Peter stood with them warming himself. I want you to know just very briefly that uh, that the guards had made a charcoal fire. We'll get back to that later. In, uh, in, and so a few verses later, so Peter denies Jesus that he knows Jesus. Meanwhile, verse 25, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, you're, you're not, are you sure you're not one of those disciples? He did, denied it, saying, no, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose Peter ear, because Peter chopped one of the ears off of a, one of the soldiers, uh, said, didn't I see you out in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. Luke adds another dimension to the story. And uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 61, Luke says, At that very moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's word flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And verse 62, and Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Like Simba, Peter faces and uh, the full weight of his actions. And like Simba, Peter would run away, broken, 
ashamed and riddled with regret. Now, of course, we know the Easter story. We know that that Jesus rose again from the dead. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about how Jesus appeared to Mary in the garden. Then Jesus appeared to the 12 disciples um, and brought peace and joy. And then he appeared again eight days later uh, for the second time to the disciples, particularly Thomas, to, um, to, to speak and to restore Thomas. And I, I think it's totally fair to assume that, that Peter was in that group where Jesus appeared. So, so Peter had already seen Jesus a couple of times. And I'm sure Peter was really, really excited that his friend was alive. And so, and, but, but there was that thing. Although Peter, I'm sure Peter was excited Jesus was alive, there was this, this elephant in the room. Now, you know, in my previous church, we had a whole range of other nationalities and a lot of Congolese were in our church. And sometimes the phrases we used, they didn't make any sense whatsoever. And so I had to take time to explain what an elephant in the room was because, you know, there literally wasn't an elephant in the room. Just in case you're wondering, what I'm trying to say here is Peter was excited about Jesus being there, but there was something in front of him that was that was affecting everything he did. Uh, it, it was it was that it was that failure. It was that that disappointment. It was it was that time when when you did that thing that you promised to Jesus that you'd, you know, Jesus you know I'll I'll never do that again or or if you if you help me I'll, I'll I'll give this or I'll do this and it's that it's the failure and the disappointment of letting Jesus down. It's the time when you could have helped someone or or given something and and you didn't regret there's still regret and there's times when you when you did things that can't be undone or you've said things that can't be unsaid so you know you, you know what it's like it's that it's the elephant in the room is that thing that when you think about people or your husband or your wife or a friend or your relationship with God it's the thing that makes you sick in the gut it's a thing that makes your heart pound with regret and shame and guilt and it, and it gnaws away at your soul. You know, now Peter felt that very thing. He felt what, what you may feel from time to time or what some of you may be feeling right now, that, that sense of regret and shame and guilt. And I love that in the same way that Jesus came to restore Thomas. We're going to see this morning that Jesus comes to restore Peter and it's absolutely beautiful because Jesus does not want Peter and he does not want us to go through life carrying shame and guilt in fact it was our shame and the guilt that he and guilt that he bore upon the cross and so you know we don't actually read too much about Jesus's interactions between the resurrection and the return there's not that many scenes and it seems in the story in the Gospel of John, it seems that John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes an addendum, an epilogue to his book. He's almost closed uh, the writing of his Gospel. And then the Holy Spirit says, you know what, John, I want you to write a bit more. And I think the Holy Spirit was asking him to write John chapter 21 because he knew that there'd be people today listening to this message today who need to hear it. People who'd be like Simba, but people who are like Peter that have allowed their failures, that have allowed their mistakes, that have allowed their shame and their guilt to take them away from God's best for their life, 
for who God's called them to be. Yeah, I'm not talking about bad people. I'm talking about good people. I'm talking about nice people. I'm, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about times when, you know what, we're, we're, we're not bad. We're trying to do our best, but we know that we're living far below and far away from where God's calling us to live and to be the people God's calling us to be. And so we'll go to John chapter 21 because John wrote this just for you and me today. And John chapter 21 verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, their names are James and John, and Timon and Pumbaa, two other disciples. Uh, Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat. But they caught nothing all night. Now John tells us that these guys decided to go fishing. And we don't know exactly where this is on the timeline. We know it's between the resurrection and the return. And so that these guys go fishing. We're not too sure that Peter wanted to go fishing because he was bored. He was just wondering, well, nothing else to do. I may as well go fishing. Or maybe Peter thought that he was a better fisherman than he was a disciple. And so he would, he would put his efforts and his time back into something he, was, he thought he was good at. So, so uh, Peter and, and his little band of merry men, they, they hop in the boat and they go out fishing and they catch nothing. Everyone say nothing. Nothing. That's right. And so at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Hey, fellows, have you caught any fish? <coughs> no, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the other side. They said, what? He said, throw out your net on the other side. And they said, well, and they said okay. Anyway, I'm sure it was something like that. Um, and so... They did, in verse 6. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. What is so cool about this event, what is so really um, uh, just so amazing about this event is that Jesus recreates a scene from three years ago. I talked about that scene. In fact, that scene's found in Luke chapter 5, verse 8. And it's when uh, exactly the same thing happened. And verse back, back then, three years ago, when Simon Peter realized what had, sin, what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus. Oh Lord, please forgive me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, see they were there as well, uh, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. As soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. You see, Jesus took Peter in a full circle. Uh, Jesus took Peter back to the place where Peter first experienced Jesus' power, where Peter first experienced Jesus' grace, his forgiveness and acceptance. Peter, Jesus here takes Peter back to the time he was called to fish for men. Jesus took Peter back to a place where, where Peter's faith was greater than his failure. Jesus took Peter back to the time when Peter would leave everything 
to follow Jesus. And Jesus set this up, sets this up so beautifully. Back to John's account in verse 7. Then the disciple uh, Jesus loved, which is John, uh, John said to Peter, Hey, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for it stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to the shore. I'm wondering if Peter thought he could walk on the water back to Jesus. In fact, he didn't care. He was just going to get to Jesus either way. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from there. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, cooking uh, fish cooking over. What was it? You got your Bibles? It's on the screen. What was the fish cooking over? It was a charcoal fire. I'll get to that in a second. You know, and I, I love what Jesus does. I love it when you are when you are wrestling and wondering what does God think of me? What does Jesus think of me when I'm failed? Jesus turns up with an invitation to a meal. Jesus comes and he says, Would you come and sit with me? Would you come and enjoy me and enjoy time with me? And so so Jesus had already got some fish. We don't know where Jesus he just got some fish and he cooked it for breakfast. Now, in in the in the Bible there's all sorts of fires mentioned. But only two times we find uh, in the Gospel of John that this word fire is used, and it's used particularly called a charcoal fire. Now, do you remember the so do you remember the first time that the word charcoal fire was used? That's right. It was it was not that long ago. It was at the high priest's house. Pardon me. It was where. Peter denied Jesus. And so, not only had Jesus taken Peter back to his time where, where his faith was born, Jesus recreates the time when Peter's faith had failed, where, where Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus, friends, Jesus never does this to shame us. Jesus doesn't do this to rebuke us or to, or, or to make us feel bad about ourselves. Jesus brought Peter back to the time regarding his faith and his failure because he needed those things to come together. Because Jesus needed Peter to find healing. How about you this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and you're this evening whenever you're watching this and, and, you, and you've got and you need healing. Maybe you're broken, maybe you're hurting, maybe you're confused, maybe you're struggling like Peter was. Maybe you've been wounded by people, or maybe you've got wounds that you've inflicted by your own actions. Let me tell you something, Jesus does not want you to remain trapped in your shame and your guilt. And so Jesus did not want Peter to remain broken and wounded. So, so Jesus takes Peter aside after breakfast. And I know this conversation that there would have been tears flowing. I'm sure Jesus would have been weeping. I'm sure Peter would have been weeping. And so verse 15, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You know, it's it's uncertain what Jesus was referring to. Uh, some people are saying, well, Jesus, um, Simon, do you love me more than these, these, these fish? You know, Simon, do you love me more than than your your efforts, more than your 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 own plans? You know, Simon, do you love me more than your external world? Another thing is, Simon, do you love me more than these disciples? Do you, do you love me? You're the one who said that even if these other guys desert you, I'm not going. 
Simon, do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than this world you've created, this, this world that you have run away to, this world that you have cocooned yourself in? Simon, do you love me more than all of this? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You know, I could preach a whole series of messages on these few verses alone. But this isn't where God wants me to land the plane this morning. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, and Peter goes, yes. And Jesus says, well, well, it's time to move on. I need you to feed my sheep. And two more times, uh, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And, and Peter says, yes, I do. But Jesus says, well, I need you to move on. I need you to take care of my lambs. I need you to, to feed my sheep. You see, Peter, you need to, to deal with your wounds. Peter, you need to, if you really love me, you need to do something about it. Deal with your wounds. Deal with them today. I want to encourage you, if you're wounded today, I don't know how or why, I don't even know when, but I want to encourage you, you can deal with them today. You can take them to Jesus, but then you need to move on. See, when you take them to Jesus, you would find you will find grace, you will find forgiveness. You will discover, like Peter did, that he wasn't disqualified, that he wasn't rejected. You will discover that God is a God of second chances. You'll see that God doesn't see you through the lens of history that God and the devil does. He reminds you of your past. But God lifts your eyes and, and he sees you for all he created you to be in Jesus. You need to deal with your wounds. You know, in our church, we've got some wonderful prayer ministries that can help you. Because some of the wounds that we have, they take time to heal. Some of those wounds need to be bathed in your prayers and the prayers of others. Some of those wounds need to be immersed in the healing truth of God's word. And if you're watching, I want to encourage you, just send a simple email to prayer at hcc.org.au and we'll make sure that, that someone will contact you and we'll make sure that you've got an opportunity to receive the healing you need. You know, friends, finding healing may mean some uncomfortable conversations with Jesus. You might be afraid of saying things that, well, what, I mean, I don't want Jesus to know about this thing. <laughs> he already knows about that thing. And he loves you and he still comes for you like he came for Peter. It may be an uncomfortable conversation with Jesus. It may be an uncomfortable conversation with a family member or a friend. It may mean you need to have an uncomfortable conversation with a, with a counselor or a, or a pastor. I don't know what it means for you, but I do know you need to find healing for wounds. And like, I know you love Jesus. Jesus knew Peter loved him. But you can love Jesus, but you can still be hurting. You can be full of regret. You can be full of shame. You, I know that you love Jesus, but I know for many of you that your failure could be shaping your future. And that's not what Jesus wants for you. And that's not what Jesus wanted for Peter. And then you're wondering, why is this so important? It's so important because our world is full of sheep. And, and look around us, look in our schools, look in your streets, in our, in our workplace, across our country, across our, our nation, our, 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 our country, our streets, our friends, our family. It, our world is full of sheep. 
Our society is full of sheep and they're looking for a shepherd. They need a shepherd. People that are meandering through life, meandering into all sorts of trouble and all sorts of problems. Friends, there are sheep out there. There are people around us that are, that are needing you to connect them to the good shepherd. People that are falling victim to all sorts of predators and all sorts of circumstances. They need you. They need you to, to deal with your stuff. And they need you to take care of them and bring them to Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus said, Peter, my sheep need you. And I'll be saying, church, your family needs you. Your, your friends, your neighbours, your work colleagues, your friends at school or your, your friends at the gym or the friends you used to have when you went to the gym. There's people, there's sheep all around you. And we have a choice like Peter. We can hear the call of Jesus and we can leave our, leave our boat and our comfort and our safety. We can leave the place where we're dwelling on our failure or we can just jump in the water and head toward Jesus. You know, if we remain in our boats, dwelling on our failure, likelihood is we're not going to catch anything. Yeah, we'll still have a good life and, and you'll still be loved by God and you'll still, you'll still get to heaven. You're still, it's still a wonderful future. But I tell you what, if you're, if you're bound by your failure, you're missing out God's best for your life. So this morning, I want to encourage us all. Let's take it to Jesus. Let's take our wounds, let's take our hurts, let's take our disappointments, our failures, our, our, our troubles, our concerns. Let's take the things we've done, the things we've said, the things we wish we did and didn't do, the things we did that we wish we... Let's take it all to Jesus. Let's have a conversation with Jesus. Let's take it to Him and, yes, do you love me? Of course, Jesus, I love you. Well, He would say, to well, we need to deal with that stuff. Bring your pains and you bring that stuff to me. Live it with me. And then go and take care of the people that I've given you to care for. I'm going to close with a verse. This verse is written by none other than Peter. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. This is Peter's revelation inspired by the Holy Spirit regarding Jesus. That he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. So that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Peter understood this. He understood that Jesus carried his failure, carried Peter's mess and mistakes to the cross. And Peter understood by Jesus' wounds that Peter was healed. He goes on in verse 25. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your soul. Peter's saying, but you know what? We're all like sheep. We've all messed up. But we can now turn to Jesus, who is the good shepherd, but also the guardian of your soul. What a great place to turn. What a good shepherd to turn to. And so wherever you are, whoever you are this morning, I encourage you, let's return to our shepherd. In It's with our shepherd, with Jesus, we're going to find safety, find healing, and we're going to find the opportunity to deal with our stuff and to leave our stuff with him. And then to get on with the task of reaching a world that is desperately in need of all that Jesus brings. Now we're going to talk about those two things next week, but this morning I'm going to pray. And Lord, I pray this morning as we as we gather around your word, as we gather around our screens, Lord, I thank you for Peter. I thank you for his faith, and I thank you for the story of his failure. Lord, I thank you that as we look at him, that we can see ourselves reflected in many ways. 
And Lord, this morning, I pray specifically for those who have uh, who are feeling like Peter this morning that have that have that have done things and said things have disappointed people, disappointed you, and they're in shame and they and I know they're good people and they're living good lives and they're trying to make the best, but they can be so. I, I know that there's those that are so far away from who you've called them to be. And this morning, Lord, I pray that as they bring it to you that they would find a, an expression of, of love from you that they, and forgiveness and grace and acceptance. They will leave their disappointments and failures with you. And then each one of us, Lord, will get on with the task that you've given us to take care, to feed and to tend those that are around us. And Jesus, we look to you as the great shepherd of our souls. And we pray that, that we would find the boldness to do that and lord help us to be like peter that that once we've dealt with our stuff that we would go and we change the world and we ask this in your precious name amen well god bless you and i look forward to seeing you next week when we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the call that jesus gives each one of us bye-bye